Good morning, folks. We want to welcome you to our Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And we trust that your week has been going well and that you're excited about the next week coming up. So we want to take some time, as we normally do in our normal Sunday school, and continue to go through our Old Testament survey. So if you're watching this for the first time, we are doing a study through the Old Testament, and we're up to the books of First and Second Samuel, and as well as we're looking at First Chronicles. We've entitled this portion of our survey, The Days of the King. So let's get right into our lesson today. We're in lesson four, and we're going to talk about the demand for a king. So up to this point, we've seen the raising of a prophet, and we've also seen what the current situation is in Israel. So let's get into our lesson today. We're not going to read chapters 7 through chapter 8, but we are going to refer to some things as we go along. But I do just want to give you a survey of what's happening so far in 1 Samuel. So the first part, chapter 7, is really going to be looking at Samuel as a prophet as well as a judge. And if you remember, a judge were those who were appointed to kind of adjudicate issues that were happening in uh, Israel at the time, civil disputes and so forth. But they also, during this period of the judges, oftentimes served as military leaders. But we also see that this judge, Samuel, is different than the other judges in that he is also a prophet of God. He's been called to be a prophet to the nation Israel. So we're going to talk about his ministry, particularly recognized as the prophet and judge, and then we're going to move on to chapter 8, which will be where they demand a king. So let's go ahead and look at this today. So it's interesting because remember, we're dealing with narratives. And with narratives, biblical narratives, they don't tell you everything. They only tell you what you need to know, okay? So for that period of time between Eli's death and the period of time, the beginning of uh, Samuel's ministry, that was only a short period of time. And so the writer here only devotes one verse, verse 2. So the writer describes the 20 years between the death of Eli and the ministry of Samuel, which would make kind of sense, right? Because when God called Samuel to be a prophet and he began to be recognized as a prophet, he was just a young boy in the service of Eli the priest. Well, they're kind of pointing out here that the ark, remember the ark was captured for six months by the Philistines, when the ark returned, it didn't go well with the people who initially received it. Some of them were killed because they were looking into the ark. Then it was taken to the house of Abinadab, and it stayed there for 20 years until the beginning of Samuel's ministry is what we're seeing here, 20 years. Now, actually, by the time that David, later on when we see in 2 Samuel, by the time that David brings the ark to Jerusalem, it will have stayed in the house of Abinadab a hundred years. A hundred years. So the writer is just describing 20 years in one verse. Okay? 20 years in one verse. 
Now, the ark remained in the home of Abinadab, and all Israel lamented for the Lord. I want you to listen to what it says here in chapter 7. At the end of verse 2, it says, And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Lament, that's like a cry of the heart. So basically, the people of Israel are crying for the Lord's presence in their midst again. So they're crying for the Lord. Now, I want you to understand something. This cry wasn't a one-week thing. You're noticing here that this is describing 20 years. 20 years of the ark being in the house of, the, of Abinadab and up to the point where, where Samuel's ministry really begins, you're going to see that Israel is lamenting all during that time, okay? Lamenting all during that time for the Lord, okay? So we go on, and then we come to verse 3, is where we're introduced to the prophet now. And it, Samuel told Israel that if they wanted to return to the Lord, they must get rid of the idols. If they wanted to return to the Lord, they must get rid of the idols. Now, let's stop. I need to point something out to you because it is a narrative, okay? And from narratives, we don't draw theological principles and so forth, but we do... We can often see things from them if we see it as a pattern happening through the Old and New Testament. So what we're going to see here with this situation of them lamenting after the Lord, seeking after the Lord, being told what to do, you're going to see that this pattern exists here, not just here, but in other places of the Bible concerning God's people returning to the Lord, okay? God's people returning to the Lord. Now, I wouldn't normally have to do this, but I got to do this for you folks because sometimes, especially in our, in our American culture, we equate God's people with the nation. Folks, the nation isn't God's people. And I know that right now it's very popular to say about praying for revival and they use 2 Chronicles 7.14 and we're going to refer to that here in a moment. In a moment. The, the thing is, is that you need to understand there's only one nation ever that was chosen as God's people. That's Israel. But for you and I who are believers, who are a part of the church, we're God's people as well. And so the principles here that we need to see about turning back to the Lord is for the church to turn back for, to the Lord or for you and I to turn back. It has nothing to do with America turning back, Okay. So don't equate the two. If you do that, you're standing on your own ground. There's no biblical support for you to do that. You need to understand that. Well, I know so-and-so said that. Fine, so-and-so said that, but so-and-so's not standing on the Scripture, even if he quotes the Bible. The issue is God's people. Now, here's what I want you to see about this pattern, okay? Several things that come out of this pattern. We've already seen one of them. What do you mean we've already seen one of them? Well, remember, verse 2, it said they lamented the Lord. So that's a 20-year process of them crying out to God. Okay. Now, here's the problem. You can have a desire for the Lord and not act on it. You can have a desire for the Lord and not act on it. You can want something more for the Lord and not act on it. And we, we're going to see that that's very true even here with the Israelites. Why? Because when you come to verse 3... 20 years later, the prophet then says to them, 
If they wanted to return to the Lord, they had to do something. What did they have to do? They had to get rid of the Baals and the Ashtaroth poles. Okay? They had to get rid of Baals and the Ashtaroth. They had to get rid of their idols. Okay? They had to get rid of their idols. So they also had to, here's the third thing I want you to see, they had to prepare their hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. So really... A concept that you'll see throughout Scripture is, is that oftentimes you and I will have a divided heart, okay? A divided heart. And what you're going to see here is, is Samuel's telling them, you got to prepare your hearts for the Lord and to serve Him only. Your focus needs to be on serving the Lord only. Okay, now, <clears throat> then notice, only then would he deliver them from the Philistines. Only then, when, when they were totally focused back on the Lord, when they had gotten rid of the idols from their life and the wicked things, and they set their heart to follow the Lord and they served him only, then God would answer them. Then God would answer them. So, okay, what's, what's that for you and I as God's people? As God's people, you're wanting the Lord to be showing back up in your life. You're wanting to be renewed. You're, you're wanting him to renew that, that uh, joy of your salvation in your life. And here you are, you're like, what do we do? Well, you know what, there, again, you can have that desire, but you can still keep going on doing what you're doing in your pet sins. You have to get rid of the garbage. And then you have to put your attention back on the Lord, serve Him. And when I say serve Him, I'm not saying, okay, I'll be a missionary. That's not what I'm talking about. Although He might call some to be a missionary. But when you talk about serving Him, you're living your life for Him where you're at. Okay? Then He'll respond to you. And in this instance, Samuel's pointing out to them, God's going to respond to their desire to have the Philistines taken care of, to get rid of the Philistines, their enemy, their mortal enemy. All right, now, so we're seeing this here. This is basically Samuel's message, all right? So what we're seeing here in verses 3 through uh, 4 is a message that Samuel is consistent in giving to the nation Israel, okay, to the nation Israel. So then we come to verse 5, okay? So verse 5, well, first of all, before verse 5, Israel responded by getting rid of the Baals and the Asherahs, and they began to serve the Lord. Now notice, that next thing you're going to see is, is God didn't immediately respond just because they got rid of it and started serving the Lord. It's something for you and I to think about. God doesn't immediately respond. And I think there's a reason. I think the reason is, the Lord wants to see if you're serious, okay? Plus, he's got to do some other things in your life. So then we come to verse 5. So Samuel called all Israel to assemble at Mizpah. Remember, we've already studied many times before that when the nation gathered, they always gathered at Mizpah so that he can intercede for them, all right? So obviously, as he has uh, been ministering in Israel, he knows that the people are desiring to want to come back to the Lord. He sees that they're putting away the Baals and the Asherahs. They're wanting to serve the Lord only. But God hasn't provided that deliverance yet. So 
He calls a sacred assembly. That's what we see. It's referred to in other parts of the scripture. He calls a sacred assembly of the nation, of God's people, to Mizpah, where he will intercede for them. So Israel gathered together at Mizpah, and they made a drink offering to the Lord. Now, when you read the scripture, it'll tell you that they collected water and poured it out before the Lord. Now, a drink offering is another type of offering that we see that they made that was made to the Lord that had a special significance. You're also going to see when we get into Chronicles, the story of David's mighty men. Remember when he said, oh, I wish I could have a drink from my well in my hometown, Bethlehem. And two of his men went through the enemy lines of the Philistines, went and got a drink from the well at Bethlehem and made their way back and they brought it to him. And David said, boy, I can't, this is just too sacred that men would give their lives to do this. And he poured out that drink that they had fought their way in to get and come back out. He poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. It's a sacrifice, okay? So they're making a sacrifice of water to the Lord. And then I want you to notice what else they did. They fasted that day. So they, they had a fast that day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's not just getting rid of the junk in your life. You got to make confession. You got to tell the Lord what you've been doing. First of all, he already knows that, okay? He already knows that. So we see that they're doing that here. And then it also says, here's where we're seeing, he's fulfilling the role as a prophet calling them back to the Lord, but Samuel also is a judge. So Samuel also judged the Israelites at Mizpah. Now, why would he have to do that? Well, okay, remember, back to the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, a judge is a judge in the sense of a civil settling disputes among people. So here they are, they're wanting to get right with the Lord. Why would he have to settle disputes? Well, think back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you come to make an offering to the Lord, but you know you've got a problem with someone else, set your offering aside and go make the problem right. I think part of the nation getting right is they had to settle these disputes, and that's Basically, Samuel's role as a judge being brought forth here, okay? He judged the Israelites at Mizpah. Now, there's a problem. The problem is, is that an enemy, and their enemy is the Philistines. So this, the writer then tells us that when the Philistines heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they went against them. Now, that could be for any number of reasons, speculation. All we know is we have the record here. You could speculate, well, maybe they thought that Israel was gathering for war themselves. Or maybe they thought that Israel was uh, basically vulnerable at this time because they'd gather for a sacred assembly, and they thought they could just come in and wipe them out and be rid of Israel. Whatever their reasons were, when they heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they went against them. The lords of the Philistines gathered their armies to come against them. Now, the news of the approaching army reached the Israelites, and they were fearful. They were afraid. Okay, so here they are. They're up. 
trying to get right with the Lord. They have Samuel interceding for them. They're really in a vulnerable place. And here comes this army. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Do you understand what's going to happen? And, and you've got to say, well, why would they be afraid? Well, think about the last time they went and fought against the Philistines that we know of from 1 Samuel. That was when what? They took the ark, killed Eli's sons, lost territory. I mean, it was not good. So they're afraid, okay? They're afraid. So Israel cried out to Samuel. So, of course, he's the prophet. They cried out to Samuel not to stop praying to the Lord for their deliverance, okay? So he cried out, cried out, notice what it says, cried out to not stop praying to the Lord for their deliverance, okay? Now, let's go on. Samuel made a sacrifice of a lamb to the Lord as he prayed, and the Lord responded. It says that he took a suckling lamb. So it's basically a newborn lamb, made that sacrifice of probably a whole burnt offering to the Lord, prayed for Israel, and the text says the Lord responded. All right, now here we come to another principle that I need you to see. It's throughout all of the New Testament and the Old Testament always has to do with Israel that when they're at their point of desperation and they have no other hope and they cry out to God he responds we see that's going to happen in the future in the future what do you mean in the future George well in the future when the Antichrist it gives the impression in Daniel that he almost wipes them out then the Messiah will come and deliver them. See, this is something you've got to see. they got to get to the place of desperation. Why desperation? Because, listen to me, that's where you lose your pride, okay? That's where you lose your pride. Now, this is a good point to go and refer to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I've been hearing this verse a lot in their prayers for America and so forth. I want you to forget about America, but I want you to think about the people of God. People will quote 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I want you to go back one more verse to verse 13. Then we'll look at verse 14, because it gives you the context of what's going on here. He, this is something that was told to Solomon, and basically, he's telling Solomon about what will happen with his people. So I want you to notice what it says in verse 13. When I shut up heaven, this is the Lord speaking, and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence. What's pestilence, George? Hey, we're experiencing it right now with the COVID-19 situation. Send pestilence among my people. Okay, notice what he says, among my people. That's God's people. Then you come to verse 14. And if my people, that's God's people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, 
pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We've already seen that description so far with what's happening before right here in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, listen, listen I want you to understand. The humbling here is not what we think it is. The humbling is referred to back in verse 13. When you are at the end of your rope, when your world is basically destroyed and your pride suffers, then you realize, I need God, and you swallow your pride and you go to him, then he'll hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then he'll hear when God's people swallow their pride because he's been heavy on them with the things that are happening. So that's what we're seeing here, is they get to the point where they're almost ready to be wiped out by the approach of the Philistines. Samuel prays for them after making a sacrifice, and the Lord responds. Now notice the deliverance, okay? The Lord created confusion among the approaching Philistines with thunder. So here's this army of Philistines, they're approaching, and I don't know what or how he did it, but God created confusion among this army by causing a massive thunderstorm or something, and it created confusion among them. They were totally disoriented, didn't know what was going on. They were so confused by the thunder that Israel defeated them. Because they were in confusion and in disarray, Israel then went against them and defeated them. I mean, wiped them out, okay? Wiped them out. So Samuel, Samuel set up a memorial stone. The Jews are very, this is very important to them to remember the times when God delivered them, okay? So here we see Samuel set up a memorial stone in that area and called it Ebenezer. Basically, the Lord has helped us, okay? The Lord has helped us. Now, during the days of Samuel, the Philistines were subdued and Israel regained its territory. And you'll see in the text there a portion that tells you the areas that they regained from the Philistines. And the Philistines were never able again during that time of judgeship with Samuel to come against Israel again. They were basically had a big beat down that day and they were hurt very much that they couldn't regain their strength. Now we're going to see they're a problem later on again, but I want you to see that right now there's a period of peace that's going to come to uh, Israel during the judgeship of Samuel. Okay? Now, the final section of chapter 17 then focuses on Samuel as judge, okay? Samuel as judge. So Samuel judged Israel all of his life as he traveled Israel on a circuit. So basically, he wasn't a circuit, well, you could say he was a circuit-riding preacher, but he was a circuit-riding judge. So he would go from area to area, from Dan to Beersheba, basically judging the civil affairs, making sure that the issues were settled among people there that he was in Israel at that time, okay? 
Then his home was in Ramah. Remember, that's where Hannah and Elkanah were from. And so he basically settled in his home area. And he built an altar to the Lord there. All right? He built an altar to the Lord there in Ramah. All right, so that's the end of chapter 7. So now we get to chapter 8. Okay? Chapter 8, we're going to fast forward in Samuel's ministry. Again, it's a narrative, so it's not going to tell you everything from Samuel's ministry. This was all you needed to know. Now we're going to get to chapter 8 because this is what the focus of this whole book is, is the coming of a king. And so chapter 8 focuses on the demand for the king. Okay? So as Samuel got older, he made his two sons judges over Israel and Beersheba. Now, typically this was happens, it still happens today in Christian circles today. You have a great man of God, and he'll pass it on to his sons, thinking that they will be the ones to carry on the ministry and the job. Now, sometimes that works. A lot of times it doesn't. In Samuel's instance here, it didn't. Okay? It didn't work at all. Unlike their father, they were corrupted and perverted justice as they took bribes. So they're not like Samuel. They weren't doing what they should be doing. Actually, they were, their hearts weren't right. They weren't following the Lord. They didn't follow in their father's footsteps. And they perverted justice. What does that mean? Well, you got a dispute going on, and the judge is supposed to decide it. So one party decides, I'm going to win this. Here, let me give you some shekels. Let me give you something to get you to decide in my favor. And so they were corrupted. They were on the take, so to speak. Okay? They were on the take. And they basically did their judgeship down in Beersheba. Now, here's what happens. Samuel's getting older. The elders, nothing, it's like you, you can see this. Okay? You and I, we're the same way. We can see when we see people that are corrupt. Okay? They're seeing that these judges that have been appointed by Samuel are not doing well. So the elders came to Samuel and requested a king since he was old and his sons were corrupted. Basically, they said, look, Sam, you're old. You're getting older. Your time here is not long. And your boys, well, <laughs> let's just say they're not like you. Your boys, they ain't doing right. So here's what we're thinking. We've thought about this. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king to judge over us, a king to set things right, okay? A king. We want a king, all right? Now, they wanted a king to judge them like the other nations. Why? Well, because they're looking around. They see the lords of the Philistines have their kings or judges, I mean, or kings or lords, as they're so to speak, or, or they're looking at Moab or Ammon, and they're looking at all these other nations. They all have a king, but Israel doesn't have a king because their king is who? The Lord God, Yahweh. They actually have a lot of freedom in this setup, the way it is with the Lord. But they want a king to be like the other nations. Now, the request obviously displeased Samuel. He wasn't happy about their request. And he prayed to the Lord about their demand. So what he always does, which is a pretty good thing for you and I to consider, when you've got something and you don't know what to do about it, 
you go to the Lord and you talk to him about it. So he takes their request to the Lord because he's not happy about what they're asking, okay? So the Lord told Samuel to heed their request since they had rejected the Lord's, Lord's reign over them. In fact, the Lord goes a little bit further than what I'm saying here. He's basically saying, Samuel, don't take this personal. Don't take this personal, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me and what I want for them. They're rejecting me. So don't take this personal. Listen to what they're saying. They're just rejecting me, okay? And the Lord pointed out, I think this is interesting. It's not like he's not aware. He pointed out their continual rebellion in seeking after other gods. So God's, like, remember Moses when he told him, you guys are, you know, here we are, we're going to establish God's going to give you the land, but you're going to seek after gods. You're going to do this, and you're going to be punished for it. I mean, God's letting them know right off the bat, this is what you're going to do. And again, he's saying to them, give them what they want. They're rejecting me because they've always wanted to seek after the other gods. Okay? Always wanted to seek after the other gods. Now, he did tell Samuel to tell them something, though. He told Samuel to warn them. Okay? To warn them. So Samuel was to warn them concerning the behavior of a king who rules over them. Samuel was to warn them concerning the behavior of a king who rules over them. So he was supposed to give them a warning because it's not going to be what they think it is. Samuel told the people that the Lord would grant their request for a king. So he told the people, all right, the Lord said, you can have your king, but I'm to warn you about this king. All right? However, he says to them, the king will exploit them and they will cry out to the Lord. In fact, I would encourage you on your own to read verses 10 through 18 of chapter 8. And you will see what specifically this king's going to do. And he's going to exploit them. And of course, when he exploits them, they're going to cry out to the Lord. Oh, deliver us from our king. Deliver us from our king. Because they're not going to like it. Now notice what the Lord says. When they cry out about the king... The Lord will not hear them. Basically, the Lord says, no, you want this? You can have it, but don't bother talking to me about it when it doesn't go right, because it's not going to go right. You asked for this. So the Lord's warning them. And again, as we've seen every time with the people of Israel up to this point, which is basically like most human beings, even though they're warned, once they've decided they want something, they got to have it, no matter what the warning is. So the people did not listen and stated that they wanted a king so that they can be like the nations, okay? So they didn't listen, and they wanted a king so that they could be like the nations. So again, they're making that same point again. We want to be like the other nations. That's really what the issue is. Okay, so listen to me. The issue isn't that Samuel's sons were corrupt. That's not the issue. They probably have had other judges through the centuries there that were corrupted. But God always raised up other men to be judges, right? We've already seen that in the book of Judges. The issue was they wanted to be like other nations, and that's coming out here, okay? 
That's coming out here. So then notice, Samuel prayed again, and the Lord told him to make them a king. Told him to make them a king. So basically, Samuel went again and said, Lord, they're, they're still wanting to do this. And the Lord says, go ahead, you heed their voice, you make them a king. You give them what they want. That's the end of chapter 8, folks. Now, starting next week, we're going to look at the first king, the son of Kish, a man by the name of Saul, who would be selected as their first king. And again, all that the Lord warned them about will happen because of this man. And it's all setting it up for the future king after Saul to come who would be David.